Hi, everyone. Dr. Tim and Hillary here for another Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. How are you doing this morning, Hillary? I am doing good, doing good. I'm excited. This is our second Q&A for October. We're doing good. And you guys have a lot of questions. <laughs> okay, I'll keep my mouth shut. <laughs> hey, if there, it's always if good people, if people are asking questions, that means they want to learn and they're learning and they're coming yes, to it's all, a it's all good. reputable source. That's it. Hillary. <laughs> all, all right. Shoot away. Okay. Question number one. My freshwater tank has consistently high nitrates of 160 to 200 parts per million for almost a year. It is a 72-gallon planted tank with a 10-gallon sump. I travel a lot in the summer, and I can only do a water change once a month. The tank was for a single angelfish that died three months ago at the age of six years old. The cleanup crew is doing fine and consists of five bronze quarries, three Siamese algae eaters. I clean out the sump as I did three months ago. The ammonia and the nitrites are zero. The auto feeder, auto feeder has been the same for years. How do I lower my nitrates? Uh, the easiest way to lower nitrates is a water change. And the you know, you can do like 25% and then wait a couple hours or a day, because if you're not home a lot or that long, and then do another 25%. Um I wouldn't do more than 30% at a time and then let the water circulate for at least uh, three or four hours before doing another one. But that's the quickest, easiest um, way to, to lower nitrates is um, water changes. My hesitation is why is your nitrate so high? You, you haven't been doing any water changes or you don't have that many fish in there. Um, so is the soil, it's a planted tank. So maybe there's a lot of organics, but that wasn't the question. So I won't go down that rabbit hole with Hillary. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's our podcast. You like the rabbit holes. They like when you go down the rabbit hole. So have at I, it. I just, uh, that that's high nitrate. So, um, you know, if you're not home that much, you're just going to have to spend some of that time when you are home to do, uh, uh, big water changes or or several water changes is the best thing to do. So question number two. All right, man, we're quick pace today. Okay, ooh, this is a different sort of question than we usually get. I have a new aquaponics system. After doing various scale DIY systems for 10 years or so in California, I bought the MDC 1000 system from Josh at Symbiotic who got it from AST. Basically, it is the Endurance 2000 bead filter. I was curious to know if you have any information or recommendations specific to that system, WRT, where to add the bacteria and how long to let them settle. Also, I have a background in nitrogen cycling research. Thanks. This sounds like you can go in depth. Well, I, I'm not familiar you know with that particular system but aquaponics so um what you have is your uh growing plants and fish in the same system and the waste products from the fish are converted you know the, the ammonia is converted to nitrate uh 
and the plants use the nitrate and also the phosphate from the food. And uh, that's how you grow the plants. And there's a lot of these, you know, they, they can be quite sophisticated backyard systems that you can grow your own food and fish uh, or, in, you know, grown in greenhouses and things like that. The particular system he's talking about uses a bead filter. So bead, I'm actually not familiar. I've heard a lot of type of filters, but bead is not one that I've heard of before. So, um, so the biggest drawback or, or not the, the biggest issue with all biological filters or with a biological filter is that it becomes clogged up with organics. And we've talked about that. Once that filter media becomes smothered or buried with organic material, then the oxygen in the water is not getting to the nitrifying bacteria that are growing on the surface of the filter material. I've talked about that with these blocks of, of uh, uh, excuse me, of ceramic blocks. Um, and, you know, that was kind of a drawback of an undergravel filter is it did double duty as a mechanical filter. And most biological filters do that, except one that's called a rotating biological contactor or RBC. And that was the model behind the Marineland BioWheel, which was the first product I ever worked on when I you know, got out of the aquaculture industry and joined Marineland way, way back. You know, we put a RBC on top of a hang-on-the-tank filter because it was after the filter cartridge, so the water was mechanically filtered, and then it was constantly turning. And that bio, that turning action keeps the material clean. The nit nitrifiers will form their biofilm and stick to the filter material, but the organics, when it gets too big, when the heterotrophs and other things get too much, the rotating action of the, of the biological filter causes them to sloth off. And a bead filter is kind of the same thing. You have these beads and there's, there's a variety of materials and they're in a, in a, a container. This kind of looks like a egg shape or a hour or a, yeah, hourglass. Um, but others look like little little rockets. It, anyways, the water goes through there, and the beads are constantly churning. And they're growing the nitrifiers on the bead, and, and over time, the beads start to get covered with organic material. But because they're constantly churning they're cleaning themselves and they're sophisticated ones that will have a timer and every, you can set it where every so often it'll flush a lot of water through there, almost like turning on a blender and really, you know, agitate the beads. And then it shuts the whole thing off and the beads float up while the organic material floats down and settles and then um, you can, there's actually, a, you know, you can control it with uh, a timer or different things. You can open up a valve that, at the bottom that actually lets all that organic material flush out of the system 
for a few seconds and then it restarts itself and there's washed bead filters that actually have an impeller in there that comes on every once in a while to clean them and the the main thing is that the beads will float when the water's off so they're up at the top the organic settle and get uh, rinsed out of the system and you can do this so this completely automated uh, works really well the drawback with the bead filters is the idea is great, but it turned out that they were a much better mechanical filter than they were a biological filter. They weren't bad, but they weren't as good as an, as an RBC. It, all, all the studies done at universities and places have always shown the RBCs, number one, but the bead filters aren't far behind. Um, and uh, so that's what a bead filter is. And it basically reduces the maintenance. A lot of people, when doing aquaponics, you know, having a large because you're you're going food fish, so the fish are bigger, and you're you're feeding uh, a lot more because you're trying to convert the fish food into fish flesh to eat, um, and you're generating a lot of organics in the system. And and typically, people would use a pool filter, you know, the the um, uh, round or they different shape but just a, a pool sand filter to keep your swimming pool clean uh, but those clog up and they channel and there's a lot of maintenance to it with the bead filters uh you can automate all the maintenance so that the system runs pretty automatically but as with anything you can't just walk away from it and forget it um, but for this person to answer their question the the nitrifying bacteria would just put it in the system. They'll they'll get into the bead filter as long as you, you don't have any um, pre filters. So nowadays, people have what's called a washed screen. So what what is that? Um, it's kind of it's a very fine metal. Generally, it's a metal material, and the water is pushed or sucked through that screen and the organic, the, the uh, particulate material in the water gets trapped against that screen. Well, normally then you would have to go and remove that screen, kind of like your uh, filter socks or stuff like that. But the washed filters, what happens is they rotate. So picture this screen is in the vertical position. It's slowly rotating. And when the screen gets out of the water, there's a high pressure sprayer that is then spraying off the screen from the from the back, uh, and it takes washes off the organic material, and that organic material goes someplace where it's trapped, and so the screen is continuously being cleaned as it rotates through the water. Uh, but anyways, if you had that, you'd want to put the bacteria after. after after that, but generally, uh, for a backyard system, like I said, I don't know this particular system. Um, at, you know, I don't know what it is, but I know in general what the concept is. I don't think it has the screen, but anyways, put put the bacteria anywhere in the system, and they'll get on the plant roots. They'll get into the bead filters, and the, the nitrifiers will find some places to stick. Okay. Would the Dan answer the question? But that was a long-winded answer about what the aquaculture systems are. I like it. I learned something new. I always learn new things. Yeah. Okay. All right. Question number three. 
I am a beginner. In fact, I don't have my aquarium yet and I'm still working on what fish I will get. It'll be a freshwater tank and I'm thinking of having a few plants in the tank. So I have a few questions that I hope you are able to answer. Question number one, if I decide to have a few plants, should I do the fishless cycle before adding the plants or should I just add the plants right away? It won't be a heavily planted aquarium. Question number two, let's say I've gone through the whole cycle and have reached the day labeled add fish, but I don't have fish for some reason, the delivery gets delayed, etc. Will the bacteria start to die off after a week if no ammonia source is present? Ammonium chloride or fish are added? If it does start to die off, should I continue to add four drops of ammonium chloride every few days until I add the fish? And lastly, you picked I have... the long questions for this session, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I don't know. They're all clustered in this, these questions today. All right. Our last one on this question is, can I use a half bottle of one and only and save the rest for the quarantine tank? There's all your questions for this one. If you want me to go back and read them one at a time, let me know. Uh, yeah. First one was... Um... I'm, I'm sorry, Hillary, there's too many in there. <laughs> All right. The first one is adding plants. Should they oh, add? Uh, yeah, we, we, we just did a podcast on that and you should uh, cycle the tank first, add the ammonia and get it all cycled before you, before you decorate with the plants. So cycle first, then add plants. Um, Next one is what happens if the fish get delayed? Yeah. So. Now, remember, this the guide that we have for fishless cycling is just that. It's a guide. It's not a hard and fast rule. So it may be when it says add fish, you may be cycled. You may not be. It just depends upon your system and your water quality and all those different variables. But sorry, but let's say you are cycled and your fish aren't here. What you need to do then is, yes, every few days, add two or three drops. It doesn't have to be every day. Um, if you, you know, it doesn't have, they don't eat. They're not human. They don't need to eat. Can I interrupt you two real quick? Two or three times a day. Sure. Two or three drops total or th two or three drops per gallon? Oh, sorry. Two or three drops per gallon. Yep. Just to, yep. Just to keep the bacteria going. Um now, what's going to happen over time, especially this is a plant tank, so I'm assuming it's fresh water, is as we've talked about, adding all this ammonia is going to consume the alkalinity and the pH then is going to drop. So, you know, a couple of days before you know you're getting fish, you should do, you know, 25, 33% water change. Don't disturb the gravel. Don't rinse your filter. Uh, that's probably where the bacteria are because the tank is still relatively new, but you should definitely um, do a water change before your fish come. Yes. Was, was that answer everything? Or? Um, you've got one more um, about splitting the bottle of one and only between oh. the main tank and the quarantine. Well, that's, I mean, it's, you can do that. What's going to happen? Well, you're controlling the ammonia input. So if you use a smaller bottle, you know, we say two ounces for 30 gallons, four ounces for 60, vice versa, or so on. Um, if you use two ounces for 60 gallons 
and you're adding the amount of ammonia we recommend, four drops per gallon, chances are it's going to take longer for the tank to cycle. So if you're not in a hurry, as I've said lots, many, many times, it's a numbers game. If you're not in a big hurry, you can use less bacteria, but just realize that by doing that, it's going to take longer to cycle that uh, amount of water. And I'm going to ask, just in case this person listens to this and needs more clarification, if you open the bottle of one and only and you don't need, like, say you have the large bottle and you've got the two tanks, it'll be good if you close it back up. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You close it back up so you don't knock it over and spill it because that's yeah. Murphy's law. <laughs> but, you know, there's all this thing. Once you once you open the bottle, the clock starts. That's all bunk. You know, shake, open it up, shake it really well open it, use what you need, put it back, uh, you know, put the cap back on and it's, it's still fine. It, there's nothing that's going to happen that you open the bottle up that starts something or anything like that. I don't know. I don't know where that myth came from. And store in a cool, dark area. Uh, store in a cool, dark area. Don't we don't freeze. If it's, if it's going to be a long time, you can refrigerate um one and only but realize that by refrigerating you're preserving the length that the bacteria are still good but you're slowing them down which means that when you put them in the um aquarium it's going to take a little longer for them to start because basically in a refrigerator refrigerators are like 40 degrees fahrenheit they're uh they're pretty much hibernating for lack of a, a better word. So it takes them a little longer to get going. Okay, that was all the questions. And can I just say for this person, hopefully you are listening, kudos to you for like doing all this research in advance before starting stuff, like even going as far as to have a quarantine tank, good on you. Yes, yes. Instead of buying the fish and then going home and going, oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Impulse Which... buying is a dangerous <laughs> thing. And I feel like at some point in time, we've all been guilty of it yes at least i have i know numerous times okay question number four i am fighting lca dinoflagellates and have been dosing microbacter 7 daily along with phytoplankton i went to my lfs and they did not have any of the microbacter 7 they had dr tim's one and only and ecobalance i bought the ecobalance because i thought the one and only had ammonia in it i have dosed the first half dose of ecobalance and now see it recommends only one dose a week. So do I have the wrong product? Do you have any recommendations? Okay, first off, not, one and only does not have ammonia in it. It has bacteria, ammonia oxidizing bacteria, but one and only does not have any ammonia in it. Clear that, cleared that up. Secondly, um, Ecobalance can help with uh, fighting dinoflagellates because it adds competitors and you can add it more often. The recommendation on the bottle is a maintenance dosage, not a let's solve a problem, you know, troubleshooting or something like that. The thing you have to be careful of, and we put that on the bottle, is when you first start out, you want to add a small amount because every tank reacts differently. The equal balance bacteria are 
heterotrophic, which means they grow on organics along with phosphates and nitrates. And if your tank has a lot of those and you just pour the bacteria in, you can get a bacterial bloom. They, they're, they use oxygen out of the water as they're growing. And so as if you get a bacterial bloom, which you can tell because the water gets very cloudy, that will suck all the oxygen out of the tank and your fish will die. That said, Equal Balance is not the best product. Uh, Waste Away would be a better product because it has a wider range of uh, a wider number, larger number of strains of bacteria. But then back up a little bit, um, chances are if you have dinoflagellates, your nitrates and phosphates are super low. And so at this point, adding the waste away or even equal balance may not help as much or as fast as you'd like because your nutrient levels are too low and you were trying to grow these bacteria to outcompete the dinoflagellates. So you first have to make sure your nitrate is between seven and 10 at least. And your phosphate at least needs to be about 0.3 to point. Uh, I'm sorry, 0.03 to 0.05. But overall with dinoflagellates, unless you get your water chemistry uh, up, because generally with dinos, it's almost always super low. You're kind of beating your head against the wall with any treatment um, because the tank is chemistry is just favoring dinoflagellates. That's the only thing that can grow. It takes over. It's always, it's always frustrating, but hopefully this it, will get you back on track. Yeah, it is. Frust- Dinos are frustrating because everybody wants a quick, easy fix. You know, just add this and it, it's going to work. And that's not going to happen with dinos. Uh, you I mean you can kill them all, but they're going to come back. It's like using you know an antimicrobial for sino. It's a band aid. It's treating the symptom, not the uh, overall cause. And in not all cases, but in many, 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 most ninety nine, no ninety percent of the cases, tanks with dinoflagellates have super low phosphates and nitrates. And, or what they also can have is lower phosphates and nitrates, but a lot of organics because the dinoflagellates can use the organics. Where, where, so uh, you really have to get the tank cleaner and you have to get the cleaner by getting organics out. And you need to get your phosphates and nitrates up a little bit. And that takes time. It's not going to happen in a day or two. No, all good things take time. <laughs> Be patient. Yes. Okay. Question number five is another troubleshooting problem. I've had my or my saltwater tank is getting covered in white slimy bacteria. It's stringing kind of like spider webs in the display tank and like chunks of mucus in the sump. I Googled and found limited info on how to get rid of it. One thing said Dr. Tim recommended using Refresh and Waste Away. Recently, I got a bottle of one and only. 
Will that help or should I use the other two instead? This tank is nine years old and I've never had a problem like this. Thank you for helping. Yes, well, you, uh, um, I'd almost venture that the maintenance hasn't been as, as good as needed. That That white slime is basically a type of bacteria that grows when there's, again, it's organic, kind of the theme today, you know, as people worry about phosphates and nitrates, but a buildup of organics can also cause a variety of problems in this white stringy bacteria is one. So the answer is no, the nitrifying bacteria aren't really going to help. Um, they take care of ammonia and nitrite, but so, so they're not going to do anything for the white slime. What you need to do is really clean the system. Uh, water changes because chances are your dissolved organic levels are high and start using the refresh and the waste away. There is a recipe card at our website, drtimsaquatics.com under recipes that will give you step-by-step day-by-day directions as we say, seemingly every five minutes, start slow. This process takes uh, about 10 to 14 days. Sometimes if it's a bad case, you might have to do it over. It You just can't get in there and do it in one or two days. Um, it, that's, a that's a recipe for disaster, no pun intended. Or maybe there was a pun there. What do you think? <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's not on the level of your Monday jokes, but eh, give it a yeah, laugh. I, yeah, it was there. So, but um, yeah, it, it, it took a while, like nine years to get there. And you're not going to get rid of it in, in a day. Um, usually with this white stringy stuff, there is a lot of organics trapped or, or on on the substrates, rocks in in the crevices and things. So your tank needs needs a big uh, a nice cleaning. Be careful though, because I don't want anything happen. If you have a deep sand bed, if your substrate is over two inches, you know three four inches deep, and you haven't been maintaining it, okay, there's more than likely two things trapped down there, a lot of phosphate and worse, hydrogen sulfide. And if you can look through your tank, you know, where the, the, the substrate is up against the, the glass and it's black, you're guaranteed that there's hydrogen sulfide because hydrogen sulfide happens when you have an anoxic, you know, that's no oxygen. That's, you know, there's aerobic anaerobic and then anoxic and um when your environment and you, and you can have this in your aquarium and that was the whole idea behind deep sand beds is to have this anoxic well anaerobic zone some companies are out there saying you need to have an anoxic zone and that is absolutely the worst advice of all the worst advice that i've ever read seen in the aquarium hobby because in a saltwater tank, the only thing that happens in anoxic zones is the formation of hydrogen sulfide. And hydrogen sulfide will kill everything. It will kill you. It's a gas. It 
is very dissolvable. It'll kill your nitrifiers. It'll kill your fish. It's the stuff that stinks like rotten eggs. And there is no useful purpose for hydrogen sulfide in a marine aquarium. And I'll take one step down off my soapbox on that. But um, if that's what's happening and your tank is old, and why that can be happening is these, these white stringy can be uh, sulfur-reducing bacteria. And where are they getting this from? Because the buildup, now it's, it's low, but it's there. That's why I'm bringing this up. And the fix is you want to get in there and clean that uh, sand, you know, the gravel bed, the, the coral bed. But with all that hydrogen sulfide trapped in there, you risk releasing it into the water. So what I would recommend is that you do a small section at a time and you have extra aeration, surface agitation in there and do it in the morning when you can observe your tank. Uh, and if you start seeing that the fish are, you know, gasping, they're at the surface, the I would have a tank or a, a, even a tub. Hillary's very familiar with tubs and moving fish and things <laughs> like that. <laughs> it's what, what you need uh, is have a tub with, with aeration in there. And if your fish are starting to look bad, get them out and get them in that tub because that water in your aquarium is full of, is, you know, saturated with hydrogen sulfide, which is going to kill your fish. And you just have to uh, aerate like crazy your, your display tank, but it could take several hours. The water may even go a little hazy. And that's the second part is you're going to be releasing a lot of phosphate that gets trapped in that gravel. And that can cause again, a bacterial bloom. So have your skimmer, uh, working to remove those bacteria, but this is not something where you can just start stirring up your substrate and then, you know, forget about it. It's uh, kind of a ticking time bomb there. Yes. Long and questions know, and, and long You'll answers. know if you stirred it up too. It, it's pretty oh, nice. It'll, it'll smell. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and move on. We still have some more. We're starting to hit our halfway point for time today. Let's see, where are we at? Okay, question number six. Hello, I added your bacteria cultures on a Friday. The ammonia levels were approximately one part per million, so I added enough ammonia to bring it up to two parts per million. No. <laughs> we're not done. I tested ammonia the next morning and it was back at one. I did nothing. I tested two days later and it's still at one. Do you have any suggestions? I've been trying a fishless cycle for weeks now with other products like, we won't name, other no, products with no success. Thank you. <laughs> other products with no success. That's because they don't have the right bacteria or they don't even have bacteria, but I digress. Um, it's called one and only for a reason. Yes. <laughs> no, <I'm sorry. laughs> uh, so, the way the reason I went, oh no, is and we put this specifically in there. You're not supposed to, and maybe this person is just poor wording, but you're not supposed to continually add ammonia until you get a reading of two with your ammonia test kit. 
especially because this person had already added the bacteria and ammonia before, and it was down to one. That says the nitrifiers are working. And so by adding it, you know, the nitrifiers are working and you keep on adding it, you're just going to add too much ammonia. So no more than four drops per gallon per day, folks. Um, unless, I mean, there's always caveats to that when we cycle big public aquariums, you know, with tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of gallons, we have an ammonia dosing system and we're continuously dosing ammonia. But those are systems that have people that are looking after them almost 24 seven um, and doing water chemistries all the time. And, you know, they're really intent on cycling systems quickly. Um, so most of the rest of us really aren't want to do water chemistry all day long with your aquarium. So say, for, most of us are not on that level. No, for good reason. <laughs> we like to have a life. Yeah. Um, so four drops per gallon per day, maximum for the ammonium chloride. Now it, it went down and it's staying there probably because your P, your alkalinity has been consumed, your pH has dropped, or your nitrite is now super high. And we've talked about that. You know, when you first start cycling, one situation is that the ammonia oxidizing bacteria work quite well, but the nitrite guys aren't as fast. They just physiologically can't work as fast as the ammonia oxidizing bacteria. So there's always this lag. And what can happen in the beginning is your ammonia is going down. Great. So you're, you know, adding more ammonia, but this person didn't mention anything about nitride, right? Nope. All I've got is ammonia readings. Yeah. So for those listening, here's the three things you've got to send us. The pH, the ammonia, and the nitride. Uh, a lot of people make these long emails, which are fine, but if it's a super long email, I got to tell you, I <laughs> we look at it last. Sorry, it's just time. Well, maybe I shouldn't put it. That. Put it. Put it in bullet points. Make it like short, sweet Cliff Notes version. But have yeah. all the data. We get a lot of this, but we need we need the data. Is it fresh water? You know, salt water. Sometimes we have to discern that it makes a difference. Uh, have you added ammonia how many times? And then what is your ammonia nitrite nitrate? If you want to give the alkalinity, uh, I mean, pH, uh, alkalinity would be good. But, um, and then what's your water source? Because a lot of times, you know, especially if you're up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, which Hillary's finding is it's gorgeous country and the water's super pure, which is great, except not for fish, not for nitrifying bacteria. They want some hardness and some alkalinity in there. So we need a little more water chemistry and less fluff. Is that okay to say, Hillary? I like the fluff. I like hearing the story behind the fish names. And Well, you read the email, so that's fine. <laughs> that's true. But I, I enjoy the fluff, and then I edit out, and I try and just give you the facts. Nothing, nothing but the facts, ma'am. Nothing but the facts. Exactly. I, you know, I think we've talked about this before, but maybe it's time to revisit like creating an, a form online that when people are writing questions and sending to the info emails or whatever, that it gives them like 
I don't know, like a spreadsheet or something and like space for them to put in fresh water or salt water or pH or all of their readings so they know what we're looking for. Yeah, and a lot of people, I don't know if they're looking at the web, but that would be a good thing. So put that down and we can talk with uh, Jennifer about something about how to put that on there. Jennifer's our web person. All right, I got it from my notes. Yeah. Um, this is not a question that I have on here, but it's, it fits right in line with this. And it's one that came in on Instagram the other day. Um, if they're very new to this and they've never cycled, cycled a tank, how do they know? Can they look at the numbers and know that their tank is cycling? Well, it, okay, because a lot, of, we get this, not a lot. We get, you know, people, they add the ammonia drops and they've added the bacteria and there's no ammonia and there's no nitrite. And then they freak out because they think the ammonia is bad. The ammonia is not bad, folks. Uh, so if, how do you know it's cycling? You would think that you could measure nitrate, right? The end product. The problem is that most or almost all of the hobby level nitrate test kits do not measure low levels of nitrate very well. So, and what's, what, if you're cycling, as we recommend, once you add the ammonia the first time, you're adding two milligrams per liter ammonia nitrogen, which should produce two milligrams per liter nitrite nitrogen, which produces two milligrams per liter or parts per million nitrate nitrogen. And even if you do, you know, the cycling is normally that you um, add ammonia three times. And so that's going to be six at the end, six milligrams per liter nitrate nitrogen, the, the popular test kits are out there, can't measure that low. I mean, you have to add that first chemical, which is reducing uh, nitrate to nitrite. That's how nitrate test kits work. Even uh, lab ones, uh, old style is you run the water, the, the sample through a cadmium reduction column, which changes all the nitrate in the water to nitrite. And then you measure nitrite, which is why anytime you measure nitrate, you should also do a nitrite test because any of the value that you get for the nitrite test has to be subtracted from your nitrate value because the, the chemical um, is, is reducing the nitrate to nitrite and adding it to any nitrite that you might have in the water. So how do you know you're, you know, some people think, well, I'll have nitrate, but you won't. You have to take that first chemical and you have to shake the, the vial until your arm falls off. And even then it's going to be hard to read. So a zero reading or a super low, you know, unmeasurable reading of nitrate doesn't mean it's not working. Basically, you're adding ammonia. If your water has no ammonia and no nitrite, your system is cycling. So follow your directions. Uh, another way to tell is your pH because the oxidation of ammonia and nitrite you know, produces the hydrogen ions, 
which consumes your alkalinity, which then drops your pH. Now that can take a little bit of time though. If you're out here, like, you know, I am in Southern California where the water's uh, got really high alkalinity, it takes a fair amount of, excuse me, it takes a fair amount of ammonia, same in a, in a marine tank, it takes a fair amount of ammonia to start reducing the alkalinity and then the pH. So that doesn't work in all cases. But the ammonia drops, um, there is a way to test that there's ammonia in there. And that is uh, take a few drops and put it on a, a piece of, you know, glass or something like that, you know, the liquid will evaporate and there'll be left a, a crystal residue. And that's the ammonium chloride. And that promises you that there is ammonia in there. Short question, long answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thought you were going to squeeze one in there. And nope. <laughs> I was like, oh, I got a real simple, easy one for you. So... <laughs> All right. Um, okay, let's see. We're running short on time. We've got five minutes and I've got like one that's a short question. <laughs> oh, we got five minutes. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, um, I've been pontificating today. No, no. They, we've gotten some good questions the last few podcasts. That's why we haven't gotten through as many. All right, let's let's knock this one out. I have a question about my next steps on cycling my tank. My ammonia is still high on day 10. Should I be adding fish by or I should be adding fish by now, but my ammonia isn't low enough. I didn't test my pH until day nine and it was low at 6.4, but my RODI water is giving me a pH of seven, so I can't raise it above seven and I'm afraid of doing too many water changes. Please help. Now I've got more information for you. I don't need more information or maybe I do, but okay, first off, uh, you can't measure the pH of RODI water, okay? So um, it's not possible. So that's wrong. Secondly, you can raise the pH. You can get uh, um, chemicals. The simplest one is probably in your pantry, and that's sodium bicarbonate. Uh, so what's happening here is that the pH is 6.4. At that pH value, uh, about a almost, you know, 100%, 99 plus percent of the total ammonia is in the ammonium form, the NH4 plus, which is not the form the bacteria use. So they're going to work much, much slower. You know, cement drying slow because the ammonia is in the wrong form for them. So you have a choice. One is you can be really patient and it's going to take a long while for this system to cycle. Or um, are they changing the water with RODI water, Hillary? Um, is the whole system RODI? It sounds, that's another... like, it sounds like it is. Yeah. Right. Okay. So there's, there's, the, there's the biggest problem. Oh, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, in these extra notes, day nine. Ammonia was near one, pH was 6.4, so I did a 30% water change. Day 10, pH is 6.8, ammonia is still one. I'd almost venture to guess that this person is using RODI water in this aquarium and not adding anything to it because they're thinking that RODI is pure water. This is great. I'm using high-quality pure water. And that is uh, the wrong thing to do because 
the bacteria one, even, even the one and only they can't live in RO DI water. Um, so you probably killed the nitrifiers hate to say that, but probably because of the, the, uh, difference in the salinity, this, they just can't live in RO DI water. It's kind of like when you take your saltwater fish and you dip them in fresh water, a lot of those parasites can't live in that fresh water. Uh, same with the the bacteria. That pure water, no hardness, no calcium, no no magnesium, just super pure ROD water. DI water is terrible for bacteria. So, more than likely, we don't have any nitrite values, right, Hillary? Um, give me just a second. We got ammonia, CO two injected, thirty three gallon planet tank. Um, no, it does have small clusters of plants that are dying. Well, yeah, because <laughs> plants don't like RODI water either. Nothing likes RODI water. That, Plant cells. That, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's part of one of the questions. Do I remove the dying plants? But I think it sounds like if you fix the water, you can fix a lot of things. Yeah. The, the issue is that by using just sodium bicarbonate, your water's still not going to be very good because it's going to be sodium and you need calcium, a little bit of calcium and magnesium. So the best thing to do would be get like our cichlid salts that adds a, a range of, of salts, not, you know, not sodium because it's a freshwater tank. Uh, and so uh, the easiest thing to do is just use dechlorinated tap water, but you're not going to grow much in this tank this way um, successfully. Do not use RODI water. It's fine for changing the water because pure water is what evaporates. So you use, you know, dechlorinated tap water or tap water that you've run through carbon or something like that. Use the first defense to dechlorinate, or if it's a large volume, you can use the aqua cleanse to get rid of the chloramines and the chlorine. Uh, and then over time, as the water evaporates, you can replenish it with RODI water. But to start and fill and run your tank, RODI is not, um, you're not going to have success with this. So the, the overall problem with this uh, person's tank is that they're using the wrong water. All right. So. So that's a pretty simple, easy solution. Yeah. Get some uh, cichlid salts. I, there's a couple of, I mean, things that are on the market that you can use depending on where you're at. But yes, yeah. That's and we we you know we we sell them. The ASF makes them, and they're they're good quality. Um, and you know, unusually, because people say, well, my pH is really low, or my I dosed the ammonia, you know, did the math wrong and I overdosed the ammonia or the bacteria dead. And in almost all cases, I'll say, no, they're fine. In this case, though, if you really do use RODI as your water source and put the one and only in there, chances are pretty high you've killed them. And you, uh, so you, you get in the water chemistry back where it needs to be is not going to help. You can try. I mean, I don't know for sure, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I would not 
bet that the one and only bacteria are alive uh, in this tank because of the water. Okie dokie. Well, that's, I'd say we're almost at 50 minutes. Okay. So I think we can call it. Call it a key. day. Yeah, we can call it. Save yeah. some for next time. Okay. Okay. As, you know, go ahead, Hillary. Well, I was going to tell them what to do if they have questions, but I'll let you do that. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> some people say, I'd rather hear Hillary. Well, fine. No, no they'd rather hear Thomas. <laughs> oh, yes. The French accent. So if you've got questions for us, send us a message. We're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, leave a comment on YouTube, or you can send us email info at drtimsaquatics.com. Please include the information that we talked about earlier. That way we can uh, get you the best answer for your question. You know, what we've not plugged, or I can't remember, is we have a reptile line what Ooh. made me think about this is the British accent of Sir Dale. Ooh, and yes. uh, if you have reptiles, there is the reptile systems podcast also. And uh, they have, you have got it down weekly, right? Cause they're moving the reptile house, but this is with Hillary and uh, uh, gentleman, Dale Lewis, who speaks with the proper British accent being that he's a proper Brit and everybody loves his accent, but quite knowledgeable on reptiles. He and, and Peter, who also speaks with a British accent. Yep. <laughs> They're so much fun. Like just a wealth of knowledge. I learn something from them all the time. I'm not super well-versed on reptiles, but I am learning. Yeah. But these guys are, and they're great to talk to. Um, and so pop on over. How's that, Hitler? To <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> to we should rep- do an episode where we just talk with accents. Yeah. Or, yes. Or maybe maybe we can do one of those where we we uh, mold or melt the two podcasts together, like they do on TV. You know, CSI Ooh. LA and CSI New Orleans get together or something. Oh, I like um, that. Anyways, the, if the, it's really fun, knowledgeable uh, reptile systems podcast. Um, wherever you uh, listen on your podcast and and Hillary's the common link between the two. (laughs) Yes. And if there's topics, reptile questions you have, send them in, let us know, send them to info email and uh, we'll get them answered. Not by me. Not, not by, (laughs) not by you, but Peter and Dale. Peter. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. So Yeah, I think that's it. By the time this is aired, I think we will have been at all of the trade shows for Rap October. And Aquashella and, uh, and Dale will be at Aquashella. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, uh, Aquashella this coming weekend in Chicago. Yep. Um, um, and uh, there's also a reptile show that weekend in Chicago too. And he's going to uh, yes. Pop on over to that. Keeping him busy. So I'm excited. There's a reptile show I'm going to at the end of this month. So I can't wait. I got to get some stuff from my bearded dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Whose name is? Ryuko. Ryuko. Mm-hmm. Surprised you didn't name Godzilla. Like <laughs> no, I usually call her snuggerito which sounds really stupid but she like when she's tired she just like snuggles in and you can wrap her up in a blanket like a little like snuggly burrito she's so cute. There you go. 
All right. Well, this has been Dr. Tim Hillary and Snuggerito. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Frank too. And, and Frank, Frank, yes. Yeah, Frank. Frank's and, in the background. Yeah, and uh, the pig. What's the pig's name? Piggles. Yeah, he's around too. He's around. Piggles. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hillary's out there in a real life animal farm. Um, so, thanks again, folks, for listening, and uh, and we really appreciate it. Good fish keeping.